Kim mentioned John 10.10. 10. That'll be our theme verse. You'll see it up here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come so they may have life and have it abundantly. John 3.16, most popular verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that whoever believes, gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to make a bit of an artificial distinction for the next three weeks between eternal and abundant. They are different words. I'm just, I'm going to intentionally pry those things apart. Uh, when we hear eternal, most of us think future. Eternal, that's a, uh, describes duration. And so we kind of, we, it's easy to put the offer on the table that Jesus makes for us into the future. When we're talking about abundant life, that's quality. It's the kind of life Jesus invites us into. And I think that forces us back to the present. So uh, we're not going to be talking a lot about, we're not going to be talking about heaven or any of those things. We're going to be focused for the next three weeks on the present and the type of life or the quality of life that Jesus invites us into. We won't be talking about uh, eternal life uh, at all. So John 10.10, you see the job description of the devil and the job description of Jesus. Look at what both of them uh, are trying to do in our life. Will you go to the next one, please, Kim? So uh, when thinking about eternal life or abundant life, excuse me, it's never defined. Uh, I feel like the clearest picture of abundant life in the Bible is Genesis 1 and 2. So this is pre-fall, pre-sin, pre-Satan, pre-death entering into creation. So we see this is what God intended. When he created the world, when he created Adam and Eve, this is what he had in mind in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything goes sideways in Genesis 3 because Adam and Eve sin. And sin and Satan and death are introduced into the world. But prior to that, I think we see God's original created intention. And I think he still desires for us to live that way. And that's a brief, brief snapshot. It's two chapters. And the, most of chapter one is about him creating everything, setting up for Adam and Eve. So we only have a handful of verses. But in those verses, I see three elements that I think, uh, I call it the, the, it's the created or creation rhythm. I think it's what the elements that God desires for there to be in each one of our lives. And we're going to look at each element over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to look at rest tonight. Then we're going to look at work. And then we're going to look at relationship. And all three of those elements have a vertical uh, component and a horizontal component. And so we'll look at both of those. And then we'll look at how the enemy tries to steal and kill and destroy in those areas where God, where Jesus is inviting us into a full life. So this is where I get rest from Genesis 1 and 2. Will you go back, please? On the seventh day, God finished his work. He rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. So y'all are, you know, God didn't need to rest. He wasn't tired. All he'd done is talk anyway. Like it wasn't, it didn't wear him out. So there's something about the idea of rest that's important. I think this of the three, rest, work, and relationships, rest is the most countercultural, where we live at least, and I think it's the most difficult to incorporate into our lives. Super important, and I think you can, to me, you can see it there in Genesis 2, that we have an infinite God who never gets tired making an intentional choice to rest. And remember, he rests on the seventh day, which is Adam and Eve's first day. He creates them on day six. And so the first thing they do is nothing. Day seven is really day one for Adam and Eve. And they start from that place of rest. It's very important for us as we move ahead. We should go to the next one, please, Kim. 
So I'm going to define rest as intentional non-productivity. That's not very elegant, but that's what it is to me. It's not working, not getting things done. You can put sleep underneath rest, but don't confuse the two. They're not synonymous. So rest is me intentionally saying I'm not trying to get anything done. Got it? So two ditches when it comes to rest. One is legalism. You see this, the Pharisees in the New Testament. There were 39 forbidden activities on the Sabbath. 39 things that the religious leaders, the rabbis said, constituted work. And each one of those 39 activities had multiple subpoints underneath it. Down to how many uh, miles you could travel. How far you could travel before it became work. And it, it was out of control. It was, it was out of, and that's why most people didn't honor the Sabbath is because they couldn't keep up with everything they had to do on the Sabbath. We don't want to fall into that ditch. And it's easy to become kind of judgmental towards other people. And is that work? Is that not work? Should you be going out to eat on whatever your rest day is? Should you buy things? All that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into that level of detail. That's between you and if you're married, your spouse and the Lord. The other ditch, and this is the one I think we fall into, most of us are not overly legalistic. We over-spiritualize the idea of rest, and we don't make any life changes. We live in the new covenant. Rest is really about the fact that we're trusting Jesus, and we're going to talk about that. That is an element of it. But it doesn't, the, the fact that God stopped working on day seven doesn't necessarily impact what we do one day out of the week. And so I'm going to push you towards practical implementation of something. I want you to do something unless you would say I've already incorporated rest into my weekly rhythm. So uh, let's see. Oh, you see that bottom what Jesus said. Jesus says the Sabbath was uh, made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So I want you to see rest. We won't necessarily talk about the Sabbath, but rest as a gift from God. Rest was made for us, It's something that God gives to us, not just because we need it, but because we're finite beings, but because we're so much more than instruments of productivity. We're so much more than, getting, than, than human doings or however you want to phrase that. And rest reminds us of that. And God is inviting us into that with him. So let's see what's next. Vertical. So we're going to talk about the vertical and the horizontal elements of rest. So vertical rest is trusting the work of Jesus. To me, the heart of all rest, vertical and horizontal, is trust. I don't think you can stop unless you trust that God doesn't, if that makes sense. For us to stop getting things done, we, that's an expression of saying, God, we trust that the world's not going to fall apart if I don't answer the phone. And the same thing is true vertically when it comes to our relationship with him. So Watchman Nee famously said, the difference between Christianity and all the other world religions. The other world religions are spelled D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. So everything in Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, these other major world religions, the reward to be achieved, nirvana, uh, paradise, reincarnation at a higher caste, all of those things are achieved through human works, following the eightfold path, honoring the five pillars of Islam, uh, doing good so karma pays you back better. It, everything is based on human behavior. 
You get what you deserve. You get what you do in those other religions. Christianity is different. The reward that is offered to us, reconciliation with God, eternal life, abundant life, is not based on anything we achieve. It's based on what we receive. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. When he was on the cross, the last words he says, it's finished, I'm done. The work has been accomplished. So Jesus defeats the enemies. Jesus defeats the obstacles. He's the one that defeats sin and Satan and death. And our response is to say, thank you. I receive what you've done for me. I recognize that I can't earn my way or perform my way or act my way into a right relationship with God. And my standing before God is based solely on what you've done for me, Jesus, not based on what I've done. It's the biggest difference between Christianity and these other world religions. We have a completely different foundation. Our foundation is not human behavior. It's the work of Jesus on our behalf. So to rest spiritually, you can read the end of Hebrews 3 and the beginning of Hebrews 4. That's where you'll see this idea of rest really being played out in the New Testament. And you'll see that word, Sabbath rest. You'll see that phrase used multiple times through Hebrews 3 and the beginning of Hebrews 4. And you can see the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making, which is, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people didn't enter into God's rest. And we have an opportunity to enter into his rest by receiving the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. For most of you, this is not necessarily a struggle. You've come to, a, you've come to the end of yourself. At some point in your life, you realized you couldn't do enough. You weren't good enough. You needed a Savior. And you... Repented. You acknowledged your need for a Savior, and Jesus did come and rescue you. So we continue in that same vein. You've heard me say before, identity precedes activity. When it comes to your relationship with the Lord, rest precedes obedience. Rest precedes work. Remember, it's the first day of the week they rested. And when it comes to our relationship with God, the first thing we do is nothing. From that place of reconciled relationship... Because of what Jesus has done for us, then we move forward in obedience. So you can say it's scuba diving and carpentry. It's both uh, of those things for us. I had one other thought. I just lost it. We'll move on. So practically, what is rest? Think vertically of refreshment. Key idea is being in the presence of God. You can look up those Bible verses. We don't have time. So Those practices are just suggestions. You need to figure out what gets you in the presence of God, and you need to do that regularly. So whatever it is that allows you to feel connected to God, whatever whatever it is that um, makes you attentive to him, those are the things that you need to incorporate into your life. And if it's none of those things, that's fine. Find something. Those things up there are classic spiritual disciplines, but there are others that I didn't list. For you, it may not be anything that's written down in a book. It may be some special sauce that you create on your own, and that's fine. Whatever it is that allows you to enter into the presence of God. If you're on Sundays, one of the reasons that we sing four songs, one of the reasons we worship for as long as we do, is because the, the point of that is not so we can sing the songs well, It's to hopefully create an atmosphere where people can connect with God. But it allows us, hopefully, to use those repetitive phrases as a springboard to get into the Lord's presence. Our deepest desire 
is for Sunday morning to be a place that is refreshing for you, your children, your students, and you as adults. All three of these ministry areas, our deepest desire on Sunday is that you connect with God more than anything else, more than a good message, more than good coffee or any of those things is, did you meet God? And if the answer is yes, then we feel like we've done our job. So we hope corporate worship is a place where you feel refreshed, but that's obviously only a brief snippet of your week. It's an hour and a half of your week. So what are the other things that you do? Do you worship personally, individually? That may be something for you. That's an important one for me. Bo helps me with that. He sets up playlists, and I can download them to my little device, and I listen to those songs, and that helps me. I walk to work. That's not up there, but that's something for me that's important. I can't talk on my phone. I can't text. I can't return email. I can't, I, it's just 40 minutes where I can listen to the Lord and kind of be in his presence. It's got a defined beginning, a defined end. I'm moving, which makes things easier for me. I journal at least once a week. I go to Cool Beans, and even if I don't have anything to write, I make myself pull out a journal and start writing. I'm naturally not reflective. I naturally don't look back, and that forces me to do that. I also naturally don't look in, and so that forces me to kind of slow down and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you doing in my life? Those are three that I've picked up in the last four years, things that have really helped me rest, be refreshed in the Lord's presence. And you probably have picked up some other things, and I would encourage you, if you're going, if if your time with the Lord feels like uh, just obligatory, I'm just working through the things my pastor or youth pastor told me to do. So I'm reading X amount of the Bible and quit that and find something that works and that brings life to you. And if you struggle with that, you can talk about it around your table, and then you can call me if you can't figure it out, and we'll see what we can come up with, some creative ways uh, for you to connect with the Lord. So that's vertical, and then also horizontal. This is the one I actually think is the most difficult. To rest horizontally means you have to trust in the goodness of God. Jesus said, don't worry. He's the one that holds everything together. This is amazing to me. When I read the Old Testament and God says, I only want you to plant every six years. On the seventh year, I don't want you to plant anything. This is an agrarian economy. To not plant, I mean, where are we going to get food from? There is no Kroger. What are we supposed to do? And he says, just trust me. There's going to be enough that comes in that you're going to be able to eat on the seventh year and have enough seed left over for the eighth year and to provide for you until the harvest comes in in the eighth year. That is a, to me, that is a massive expression of trust. Uh, I don't know that it's a great equivalent, but it it would be like God saying, hey, just don't work on the seventh year. And you're going to have enough money that you're going to be able to pay all your bills that year. And you're going to be able to pay your bills in the eighth year until you get a new job. And the checks start coming back in. Can you imagine doing that? I can't. But trusting the goodness of God. Resting. He did that so the land could rest. is also an opportunity for his people to trust him. So for us, it's baby steps in that direction. What does it look like for us to intentionally say, I'm not planting, I'm not doing anything productive, I'm not producing. I was talking to somebody the other day, and she said, and it may be true, she's like, I really rest best when I'm cleaning my house. And I kind of want to go, I don't know about that. It seems like you, that seems like you're dodging a little bit to me. Maybe. But I don't know that person's heart. 
maybe. That sounds to me a bit iffy to say that you rest best when you're getting things done kind of undermines the idea of saying rest is about not getting things done. So I would challenge you to really think about, all right, what is non-productive time for me? That doesn't mean you need to sit in a chair and stare at the wall for eight hours a day. Anything that you do, if you'll go to that next one, anything that is, that's play for you, anything that you enjoy doing that is righteous, then you can do those things. Any good thing, any good activity that brings life to you, play. That's to me, is what rest looks like horizontally. Again, it's not staring at a wall. It's not some of the, the trappings that got wrapped around the Sabbath in the New Testament. You know, you can't, you can't light a fire. You can't make dinner. You can't walk more than a mile. It's not that. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. It's setting aside time that says, I'm not working, I'm not being productive, I'm just enjoying. That's what I'm doing now. And what I, if, you, if you can look me in the eye and say, I really enjoy doing laundry, then maybe we can talk about whether or not that's rest for you. I, don't, I haven't met that person yet. What do you really enjoy doing? And then, when do you do that? And that's really where the rub is when it comes to rest. When do you do that thing that you really enjoy doing? Once a year on your vacation, that's not enough. There was a Sabbath every week. That's what God instituted, every seventh day. And then in the New Testament, they began to worship on the first day of the week. And that, for me, is it's pretty, that's good. We begin from a place of rest. We don't rest from working. We work from a place of resting. The first day is the day that we rest. And then as people who are renewed and recharged, then we go and live our week. So for you, if you think about your week, don't think about 24 hours. That's too much of a stretch for most of us at this point. Are there any windows of time where you do things that you enjoy, where you're intentionally not available on work, email, You're not running carpool. You're not paying bills. You're not taking care of household things. You're doing things that you enjoy. And you can list whatever those things are. Dinner with friends, out creation, sports, movies, whatever those things are. As long as they're righteous activities. And on the backside of those, you would say, yeah, I feel those were life-giving to me. I feel better on the back end of those things than I did going in. That's the rub for most of us. And that's where we've got to get. What does it look like to begin to incorporate those rhythms, that rhythm of rest, into your life? And I'm intentionally using the word rhythm, not balance. We're not trying to balance work, rest, and relationship. It's not eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. You work for six days in the Old Testament, you rest for one. That's not balance, but it is rhythm. So I don't want you to think about, I've got to work as much as I rest, or rest as much as I, that's not it. You just need to have rest regularly in your life. I think weekly. I don't think that was a mistake. That's Genesis, the seventh day, God rested. So, how does the enemy rob us of rest? This is very personal. These are just some ideas I have, or I had. Yours may be different, but I think it's important for you to to recognize how does he want to rob you. So, if Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life, and if you're on board with me, 
then abundant life is rest, work, relationship, rhythm, then how does he want to rob you of the different elements of that rhythm? So how does he want to keep you from resting, either vertically and or horizontally? I think vertically, we live like servants and slaves, not like sons and daughters. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get you in a mindset of, if you want to go back and read the prodigal son in Luke 15, he wants to get you in the mindset of the older brother. Father, I've been slaving for you for years, and you've never even given me a calf, a goat. You've never even given me a goat for me and my friends. He's not acting like a son. He's acting like a servant. What does his father say to him? Everything I've got, it's always been yours. It's, this is all yours. You're part of the family. For many of us, we, we function, we, we would say we're sons and daughters, but we function as servants and slaves. And so that keeps us performing for God. We don't trust the finished work of Jesus. We're working, trying to earn his favor. Remember at Jesus' baptism, before he did anything else, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Then from that place he goes out and works. And that's where we want to get as well. We want to hear God saying to us, well done, son or daughter. I'm pleased with you. And then from that place we go out and live a life of obedience. Sometimes we approach God as if we're customers. I, and, and the money that we pay with is our good works. God, I've prayed a lot this week. I've read the Bible a lot this week. I've fasted. I haven't cussed or whatever those things are. So I'm going to cash this in for an answered prayer. I'm going to cash this in for a favorable verdict in this circumstance. We don't recognize grace. Again, it's this idea we don't realize what it is to be seated with Jesus in heavenly places. We see, feel like God's behind the counter and there's a menu board behind him. And do I have enough money to get what I want? None of that is conscious. But you can think about when you approach God, are you aware of what you've done? Are you approaching him from based on your track record, based on your resume, based on your recent behavior? Is that kind of what you're bringing to the table? Or are you trusting in the work of Jesus and the fact that you've been adopted into the family of God and that he longs to be gracious to you? That's a hard concept for us to get. I don't know any other relationships that are based on grace. Every other relationship I know is based on behavior. It's different with the Lord. It's based on grace. And that's hard. that can be hard for us to get our minds around. Horizontally, how do I... What, what, how does the enemy keep me, rob me from resting? How does he keep me from doing things that I enjoy? We define ourselves by what we do. So if I'm not doing that, then I lose a part of who I am. I think it's, I don't work, I'm, I'm my own boss, so it's easy for me to say this. I don't have somebody cracking a whip over me. When I see people who are repeatedly working 80 and 90 and 100 hours a week, I wonder, is that your boss or is it you? Like, how, where, where's the line there? Are you complicit in that on any level? I don't hear that as condemnation. It's a question. Are you complicit in the fact that you're working that much? Or is there a part of you that derives so much of your sense of who you are from what you produce and what you do to go home, to quit working, it, 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 you lose something of yourself. We want to be defined by God. This is my son before he does anything. And if you define yourself by your accomplishments, 
by what you get done, by how many check marks you can make in the boxes every day, it's going to be very difficult for you to rest. I don't think she would mind me saying this to you, but my wife is an achiever. She gets things done, and she can remember the exact day she didn't finish everything on her list. It was after we'd had um, a couple of children, and she couldn't. And she, and it was, she was bewildered. How do you have a day that you don't get everything done, and then how do you go to sleep? with something unchecked on the list. She had to reorient what productivity looked like for her. And some of you are in that place where you only feel good if you check off X number of boxes. It can be very difficult to play if that's your mindset. Fear of not having enough. Some of us, the idea of God saying, hey, you you don't have to do that. Just turn off the phone. Don't respond to the email. You've already worked 10 hours today. Just go home. And we think, well, I'm not going to get the next promotion. If I don't get the promotion, then what's going to happen when we have the next kid or when the housing bubble bursts? And we start thinking all these things. And so the idea of not getting things done, it's upsetting to us. We're going, I'm not sure about that. And that may be where some of you live. You live in that state of, of, of worry, particularly over your finances. And so the idea of playing, I'm not talking about spending money on play. I'm just saying the idea of not constantly producing, not constantly earning money. And that may be very difficult. Some of you may have jobs that are based on sales, based on commission. I'm thinking, I don't know this. I'm thinking about maybe a real estate agent to not take the call. Well, somebody else is going to get it, and I don't know when the next call is coming in. Maybe if you're in that line of work, it could be very difficult for you to think about how do I rest. Some of you may be in lines of work where your hours and the hours of the people, your customers or your clients, flip-flop. You know, they're talking to you when they're off of work. And so does that then push you back where you're working every night? And kind of how does that play out? And does fear of you not getting a sale or not having something cause you to um, work too much. And last, and I think this is a big one, play is for kids. It's not for adults. Rest is a luxury. What do we call Saturday and Sunday? The week end. It's not how it is in the New Testament. It's the week begin is where we rest. That's not us. We rest when we're done working or we're irresponsible. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm just saying rest first. Find that, find that place of rhythm for you. So for me personally, and this is, this I think maybe is a place where it's easier for me than it may be for many of you. I'm off Friday and Saturday. Sunday is not my day of rest. I work on Sunday. I love it, but it's work. Friday is my day of rest. And so I don't work. My wife works with a real estate agent. She doesn't work on Friday. So we get up and we get the kids and I go to the gym and we go to lunch every Friday. That's our date time. We started doing that when our kids were young and we didn't want to have to pay for a babysitter. And we just still do that. We go on Fridays during the day and I don't rest for 24 hours. Our kids come home at 2.30 and some at 3. And so that's not restful for us. And so we have that window from about 7 to about 3. On Fridays, it's different in the summer because our kids are home. It's different during breaks. But in general, that's my rest day. And we tend to do the same type things. We go eat. And honestly, we usually go eat in Roswell because that way I know, like, we don't have to worry about, worry's not the right word. We know we're not going to run into anybody. 
We love y'all. But I'll get pulled in. And I don't get pulled in. I can't stop by the church when I'm in Roswell. It's too far away. And so we try to do things, knowing myself, we try to do things that keep me from responding. And she does the same thing. She tells her boss who she works for, hey, Fridays, I, I can do those things on Saturday, Friday, not during these hours. And she does the best she can. Sometimes she can't do that. But in general, she tries to hold the line from seven to three. And it's something that we do have to fight for and work for, and we don't always make it. But in general, we have that. And so my encouragement to you, you most of you work on Friday. And so you start thinking about, for most of you, it's going to be Saturday or Sunday. I don't know if you would consider it restful to be driving your kids to sports games all Saturday. And maybe that is restful for you, and Saturday's your day. Maybe it's Sunday, I don't know. But I would encourage you, and if you're married, you and your spouse, to start thinking about what does this look like. And how, you know, under three is not how it's going to look at like when your kids are all in school. And it's not going to be how it looks like when your kids are out of school. And all that's fine. There's flexibility and freedom. I don't want you to hear this as legalism. Remember, the Sabbath was made for you. It's a gift from God to you. He wants you to rest. And so begin to think about how do we do this? And don't believe the lie that you can't rest until you get it all done, because then you won't rest until you die. You're not going to get it all done. And so that can't be your barometer for when you choose to rest. You've got to build, I would encourage you to build it into your schedule on a regular basis, trial and error, no guilt, but don't give up. Recognize there's an enemy, and what he wants to do is to keep you from resting. We'll talk about how he wants to keep you from work and relationships as well. But this is a big one. He wants to keep you from that. And our culture says you can't do that. Rest is for the the rich and the retired. It's not for any of the rest of us. And that's just not true. So I'm going to pray. What? No, we got one other thing. Discussion guidelines. So you're about to have a discussion. Some of you love to talk. And we love that you love to talk. Just don't dominate. We know you don't do it on purpose. But don't do it. Don't, we don't need all the context. You think we we don't. Just get right to it. Tell us what you got to say. Some of you hate to talk. You don't get to hide. You're in a circle. We need to hear what you've got to say. Share at the level that you're comfortable don't, we don't want you sharing at a level that you feel too vulnerable or too exposed. Most, you probably don't know everyone around your table, and so we, would encourage, we want you to be honest and genuine, but I don't want you to feel pressure to share at a depth that you're not ready to communicate yet. There, there's a facilitator at every table, and their job is to keep the conversation moving, so Please don't get your feelings hurt. If they call on you, it's because they, don't, they haven't heard from you and they want to. They're not calling you out. They're not trying to embarrass you. And if they say, hey, let's let someone else share, it doesn't mean they don't want to hear what you've got to say. But it's obvious that you're someone who's willing to talk. And so they want to just make sure that everybody's got space. Is that good? Y'all are adults. All right, I'm going to pray. 
There'll be some discussion questions. Your table leader may veer off of that if the discussion moves in another direction, and that's totally fine. These are just things to prime the pump. God, thanks for these folks coming. I do feel like this is a very radical concept for us to think about rest. And everything now is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is so rare for anything to ever be closed. And we get sucked into it. I get mad when something's closed. Just get it off of Amazon. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about rest in a non-condemning way. I pray that we would hear you inviting us into this creation rhythm. God, I pray that we would begin to recognize the lies of the enemy. All he's trying to do is to keep us from the best that you have for us. He knows that you want to give us abundant life. And he's hell-bent, literally, on keeping us from engaging in that. And we don't want him to win. So, God, I pray for every individual and every family in this place that you would speak. What does it mean for us to rest? If there's anyone here who's um, relying on their own good works, on their own behavior, God, I pray that they would hear you saying, come to me. You're weary and you're heavy laden. I want to give you rest. And they would begin to trust in the finished work of your son. And for all of us, you would remind us, what are the, some people in here don't even know what they enjoy. It's been so long since they've played. God, would you remind us of the things that renew us and restore us? And would you begin to speak to us about how to creatively work those things into our life on a regular basis? Even if it's got to be a different day of the week, every week, it's okay. I just pray, God, that you would lead us in this direction. I pray nobody would get discouraged. Nobody would feel um, condemned. But again, there would be this sense of excitement and invitation to say, we're going we're gonna to try this. We're going to give this a shot. And we would all begin to experience the full benefits of what it is to, to rest on a regular basis and then to work out of that place of being refreshed and renewed. In Jesus' name, amen.